Welcome to the Wondrous Atlas of Creation's Destiny, your guide to all places and plots exalted. I'm Rails. And I'm Aramithius. Just before we get started, if you wish to email us any comments, ideas, criticisms of my vitriolic hatred for Nemon, uh, send it to wondrousatlas at gmail.com. And you can spell wondrous however you like, because it took us two shots to figure out how you do it as well. Pretty much, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And also, if you like what you're listening to, please do leave us a review wherever you're listening, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever. We would absolutely love to hear from you what we're doing well, what we're doing badly, and just so we can either carry on doing what we're doing or change it up. But yes, uh, what we are doing now is talking about how to use various story hooks and stuff and how to use House Nellens in stories, how to make them part of the chronicles that you're weaving, how to think about Nellens, PCs, NPCs, what makes something particularly Nellensy, if that's even an adjective. It is now. We've got to inject colour and flavour into a house whose defining adjective is grey. Do not envy us, listener. <laughs> Uh, maybe. I would argue that one. The problem is that they do have a lot of flavour of their own. It's just not the flavour that you typically associate with role-playing games. They yeah. feel good as story elements, but as things to sort of pull in on a bit more of a large scale, it takes a little bit more work. Yeah. So let's open up with what the themes of House Nellens are. In a word, humans. <laughs> Yes. They actually care about them. Literally no one else does. We mentioned briefly in the lore episode the horrifying potential of the Nellens communist revolution. That's only a slight exaggeration of the degree to which they are really <laughs> enamoured with the mortals that the rest of the Scarlet Dynasty is, at best, shall we say, a bit overlooking of. Well, it depends on quite how far you go, because you've got the let's support the peasants and make the peasants successful. If they're true to how Nellens actually was as a person, they would just be out for the dynasty. Because yeah. that was very much Nellens' attitude. It's make the dynasty a thing and blur the line between dragon bloods and mortals rather than getting all of the peasants on the Blessed Isle into one big, happy, egalitarian family. He was not at all concerned about that, and he was also yeah. very anti-emancipation. So... The issue with it is, of course, that if House Cessus tells us anything, it's that Nellens is not living up to their founding name. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, true. I'm surprised that we didn't mention this more in the law side, but Venice is the inescapable comparison, constantly. And you just have to take your history of Venice books that I know you all must have, and go through them, cross out every mention of the word noble and commoner, or noble and peasant and the like, and replace it with dragon blood and human, and there's your Nellens ideology. Yeah, maybe. Um, I don't think there are any cases of Nellens actively wanting to not be a dragon blood, which they absolutely would have been in historical Venice, to be fair. This is true. Not quite as extreme, but it is the case of you have the... And again, there are other houses, and especially the Immaculate Order, who will keep contesting and saying, oh, but we do as well. But Nellens are really the main force for... If you don't exalt, especially if you, in any other circumstance, would have had a shot in life, i.e. were a patrician or otherwise well-bred, they are your best bet if you don't exalt. They do hold that sort of old Nellens attitude of, not necessarily even bloodline over anything else, because they are very much attached to all of your little mortal businesses as well. It is 
it's hard to escape from the they are the pro-human faction argument, which in a game that frequently will say one human without any fancy equipment doesn't even get stats, is, to return to the earlier point, not necessarily conducive to role-playing, even if it sounds like an interesting theme. <laughs> yeah, it's you need to emphasise things beyond combat when you're dealing with humans. It's the idea of you can't just squish this thing. So you've got to have situations where destroying the humans and killing them is not the answer if you're wanting to play up Nellens' strengths in any way, shape or form. This probably mean leaning on institutions as well as individuals to a fair degree because you can kill one patrician, sure, but then the next person to fill the, their boots in the ministry is also going to be a mortal. And so you will have to employ similar tools to deal with them. And the, the original problem isn't solved. So it's a way of emphasising that sort of thing. The other thing, and the one that's perhaps a little easier... Well, no. It's a little easier to imagine role-playing with. I still think it's not actually going to be that easy to do. Is that Nellens very much have the view of the realm... I won't say backwards, that implies they're wrong but back to front from everyone else. Because if you are focusing anything around Nellens, you have to look at the realm from the bottom up instead of from the usual top-down approach. Yeah, because your dragonbloods are usually sort of, let's rule, let's impose our will on everything else, on the systems, on the people, and so on. Whereas Nellens is about cutting deals, getting in at everyone's level. It's a little difficult to compare because we don't really have much in the way of direct examples. I don't think of this, at least narratively, happening in-universe. But when it talks about people like Sinus or Cessus controlling organised crime and vice and drug sales, you have the image of them being the bosses, lording it over and just basically cracking skulls until things get done and making people offers they can't refuse and stuff fueled by essence and that sort of thing. Whereas Nellens will be the ones that are going a lot more sort of smaller scale and will still exert the same control, but just with different levers, I think is the thing. In the obligatory out of exalted reference here, all the other houses, again, if we use the crime analogy, just because it's kind of the easiest ones to visualise here, they're all your classic supervillains. Nellens is the penguin. Nellens is always the penguin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i can see that that is how they operate but yeah it is sort of the case of with a lot of these other ones you will let's say you have a problem let's say someone's uh i don't know there's a town that's shut its gates to you and won't let you in most other houses the approach is find the governor of the city and yell at him or challenge him to an honour duel or whatever the other solution might be. Invoke your family name and how dare you do this? Whereas the Nellens approach is more to find the actual guard on the door and start talking to him about, like, do you really want to keep us out? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think for that sort of a thing, it's not necessarily a case of having fleshed out characters at that level, but you need to be able to have archetypes and roles to give your players levers to play with because they are mortals at the end of the day and if you're playing even a dragon blood it's not necessarily certain that mortals will survive that easily they're squishy but you need to be able to be aware of what mortal levers there are 
in order for the players to use them if they're trying to be a Nellens or interact with Nellens' own power structures. Mm. And it's equally true for when Nellens serve as your antagonists. Mm. Players yeah. will be used to expecting the big scary dragon blood in the big armor with the big sword to be the problem. And they won't expect the fact that one of their little house servants or bag carriers has been bought off to slip some poison somewhere, which is the very Nellens way of solving this problem. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. It is use what is overlooked. It's again the case of, like I said before, if Nellens really put the effort in, they could be one of the best espionage houses, but they just don't care about that. No, they don't need to, because they just get loads of money, and that's all they really need. Another sort of thing that you can go with is, as we, as we get a bit cheesy, they are very much the sort of, we can do everything together, my friends are my power people. Uh. They're all about cooperation and the strength of the team. I have to quote Kingdom Hearts at least once every episode, it's the rule. It's in my contract. But they are all about the sort of strength of the team and the cooperation versus other houses which are a lot more prone to... I want to call it heroics, but that sounds too good. Heroics in a derogatory sense. <laughs> um. Yeah. If they do something heroic, they're probably doing something stupid. Yeah. If Anellans looks like a hero, assume it's because they want you to see that. Yes, that is another thing. Again, with the sort of Anellans thing, you want to be working as a unit. You want to be getting people together. This one's easier to roleplay just because leadership skills and the stuff are a thing. And Anellans, I would argue, is one of the ones that is not necessarily best equipped. There are people like Nemon for that. But they're the ones that it will be most satisfying to have them stand up on the soapbox in the town square and rally the peasants to come and help solve this problem. Yeah, they could also potentially act as party glue or something like that. If you're the type to have a GMPC or something like that, mm. just have an NPC that is helping the, the players. If there are Nellens, then they're likely to be more conciliatory because Nellens are all about, or to some degree about, making alliances and getting people on side and getting leverage over people. So you've got some potentially morally grey ways of doing that as well. So have an Ellen's NPC be the one that's going between the players, just making sure that everyone's on the same page and yeah. essentially performing the role that your storyteller is trying to desperately to do out of character <laughs> as an yeah. in-character thing and weave that into your plots. And it is the case of, and you might have got this from seeing some of the Nellens NPCs that we mentioned before, that Nellens will tend to have a lot less pride, but a lot more ego. Like, you can make a jab at the house and they won't care. They're used to that. That's, that's how it goes. <laughs> but they do tend to be, especially the Dragonbloods, they all tend to kind of be uh, characters, <laughs> shall we say. Yeah, that's another thing. I mean, and we've said this before about Nimon particularly, but... It also kind of rule, rules with Nellens. Make the NPCs a bit more unique. Make them more than the house. They need to be more yeah. than the house. And while Nellens, I think, the house informs character a lot more than Nimon does, they will need to be more if they are to be something that the players remember. Otherwise, they'll just be vanilla and just be gone over. Yeah. The interesting one, and the one that I've been babbling on about in all of our pre-recording chats that we've had, dear listeners, is the fact that I really do think that Netherlands is, more so than any other house, emblematic of progress and of transition from the ancient to the modern. Not just in sort of economic structures, where it's the most obvious of, yeah, they're trying to play capitalism in this vaguely feudal system, but in all of the other ways, the moving down from the dragons to the humans, as how before it went from the solars to the dragons, and the broader sort of democratization and decentralization of everything realm. Nellens kind of does stand for this. 
And whilst at first, at a surface level reading, people were like, oh yeah, Netlands is good then, because progress is good. No, no, dear listener. In Exalted, progress forwards in time is always bad. <laughs> Irrevertibly. <laughs> Especially if you're dealing with a first edition paradigm, because that was a bit more one minute to midnight, and the, the dying of the light sort of themes were in first a little more. Second did it as well because it gave us the future and that was even worse. <laughs> and then we come back to the fact that I retained that if you travel far enough forward in time from Exalted, you end up in the world of darkness. This is where Nellens wants to take us. <laughs> yeah, and or you take another point of reference and make them the house Halalu of Exalted and just make sure that everyone hates them because they're sort of the money changing classes, so to speak, and the merchant class and that they've sold out. I mean, that's kind of the standard realm line, but if you want mm. an example of how something like House Nellens can exist, then look at both the success and the social attitudes towards merchant houses in general and how that works. Rels was saying about capitalism. I'm not sure it quite works that way. There's still flavours of mercantilism, but it's not as overt. Yeah, but they're pushing closer towards it than anyone else is, yeah. is the point. Yeah, that's fair enough. It's the argument of they are, in many, many ways, a step ahead of everyone else. And that's not yes. necessarily a good thing. Um, <laughs> the other one, and the perhaps more obvious one, given how much they love humans and hate the cetrapial system and all of this, is you can use Nellens as a blunt critique of all of the realm's power structures. Mm, yeah, not necessarily so blunt, because you can put a human face on it. You can have people say, well, who is actually running this thing? It's the humans and point out quite how the ministries in particular are the things that rely on humans rather than dragon-blooded power and abilities to do things. And you've got Nellan's sort of status as a quasi-outsider who's steadily being forced out, and they can take their toys and go home and just basically start pulling things apart at the seams. Particularly with regards to Nellan's involvement with satrapies, um, you can say, well, the satrapy system doesn't really work too well because... The people who are getting the most out of the satrapies at the moment aren't really engaging in the usual satrapy power games, which Nellens won't. We'll put a pin in the thought for Nellens and the satrapies. We will get back to that one later. But that's another way that you can look at it. Have a Nellens NPC point out how the other houses are either failing or doing something wrong by virtue of either how they treat Nellens or how the Nellens are basically beating them at their own game by doing something very different. Precisely what will depend on quite what your game is, but those are sort of the broad strokes. You can also play on the tensions between Dragonblooded and the dynasty as a whole, just to go back to Nellens' original own point of getting unexalted dynasts more involved. And you can play class politics to a degree. I mean, not quite so much as you can with Immaculates to some extent, but that does enter into the way that Nellens can operate sometimes. It just depends on what point you're trying to make, I guess. Yeah, it's broadly that they are one of the houses that you can use to basically point out to your players, yeah, the realm's bad. <laughs> <laughs> the other one, creatively, being House of Celsi. Well, yes. It depends on what type of bad you want to do, whether you want to start having the realm's institutions crumble and either the players or the NPCs' actions not really have much impact in what's going on and fail at an economic level, then it's definitely Nellens that you want. If you want people to start dying, and I think House of Celsius is probably the blunter instrument of the two. Yeah, basically it depends on what you want 
the end half of that sentence to be. Because with Nellens, it's the realm's bad and it always was. Whereas with Iselsi, is the realm's bad and we need to make it back to good. Iselsi are a lot more nostalgic, <laughs> shall we say. <laughs> yes. Whereas Nellens have never had any horses in this race. Yeah. From there, we really just do go on to the sort of things you can do with Nellens PCs in your games. And... One of the big ones here, just kind of like with Nemon, it's weird how much this can parallel Nemon, is the conflict between the personal desires of your dragon and the directives that the house gives. The only difference compared to Nemon is a Nemon scion will usually be able to get away with a lot more of their personal desires than an Ellen's one will. Yes, because you're going to have the house saying, we need you to do this for the good of the house. And it will be blatantly obvious what they want you to do, how they want you to do it, I think. It's a lot more on the nose and the benefits should be a bit more obvious, I think, than with Nemon because Nellons don't have that many plates to juggle. They take a very direct approach to all their drag. It's the case of, just to sort of steal a little point that we'll come back to later, a Nellons dragon is never somewhere accidentally. No. And also, the directives from the house are going to be coming from the mortals quite a bit of the time. They will have some dragons that will buy into the whole thing, but the mortals are sufficiently invested in the Nellan's power structure that if you have a handler, so to speak, they are likely to be a mortal. So you can play up the imbalances within Nellan's itself as well by having your handler be a mortal and not getting on with it. You can kind of play up the players. But I want to do this, and I'm one of the dragons. I'm one of the people who is special here, and kind of play up that potentially understandable frustration that a player is going to have in being told what to do and controlled. And you've got that additional edge of, firstly, you're generally going to have people thinking, well, it's an NPC. Why is an NPC telling me what to do and being controlling? So that you're going to have some of that edge in the game anyway. But if it's a mortal doing it, you've got even more of a reason for that sort of an attitude to be there. Especially more so if you have a party that has, I was about to say a party that has other house members in it. Most Dragonblood games will have this. Yeah. But it's the case of, you will have the case of if they see the human giving you orders and it's the case of the rest of the Ooh. party can sort of be like, what's going on with that? No, 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 no. Especially if you've got your immaculate work person there. <laughs> As we established in the fluff-off, the Immaculates have issues with the way House Netherlands is run. <laughs> yes, it's not particularly the way things are done at all, as far as the Immaculate yes. philosophy it's, is concerned. But this does allow your PC to have, in effect, a sort of an out from the uh, NPC's orders as well. If they or the rest of the party get annoyed enough at this little moustache-twirling, grey linen-wearing bureaucrat giving them orders, it really does just take the sort of one tep at threatening to snap him in half like a twig. And sending him home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Although, in fairness, once he's been snapped, the house will just send someone else. Yeah, this is the problem with Nellens. They can always replace it. But it is that sort of thing of... It allows for a nice, interesting intraparty tension without having it be between the players. It's yeah. between the players and one of the players' pet, basically. <laughs> and that is kind of how I can imagine, especially some of the sort of, like, your Nemons and your Sinuses seeing the human handler. Yeah, and that sort of control and the way that the house works means that one of the other kind of arcs you can do with Nellan's player characters and potentially NPCs as well, if you want to have an NPC have an arc, go for house defection. Trying to get out of Nellan's power structures is one potential way to develop. Traditionally, that's through marriage, 
but there would be other ways of getting kind of reassigned or leaving parts where Nellons has explicit control. And I think the de facto defection rather than outright marrying away from the house is probably the more interesting one to go with there because you can have the development of, well, I don't really like being told what to do. And then you have the Nellons antagonists not wanting to kill the player, but wanting to exercise control. You'll have tendrils of administration and obligation and those other ways of manipulating a character coming into play that will be plot elements that you can use. Whereas if you just marry out, I mean, yes, there's outrage, political and social uh, censure from Nellens, but it's a done job and there yeah. will p- presumably be cases of outright sabotage later on. And, but Yeah, and it is the case of a censure from Nellens if you've married into any other house isn't a problem. No, <laughs> apart from if you've married into Tepet, maybe. Yeah. The other one, of course, that I did just have the idea of what we were saying, this was a game where the party, who don't necessarily have to have an Nellens in them, but it's interesting if they do, goes hunting after some other thing, but they find a Nellens who faked his own death to get away from the house. <laughs> yes, that's a decent lead in to... Um, but you're dead. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And then you find out why. And if there is a Nellens in the party, it's interesting. Or they're posing as some sort of outcast somewhere and you have a things of secret identity and what it means to be a member of a house versus not and that sort of thing. Yeah. One practical note as well with this, if you are going to be dealing with a house defection from the player side, that's going to mean that an awful lot of soft pressure needs to be applied to a particular character. And so it can, unless the player is aware of what's happening and why, that can feel like you're targeting a player. So make sure that the player is okay with that. Otherwise, it's a a recipe for angry recriminations and feeling like one particular player is the victim. Make sure that the player is on board with what's happening and why. Yeah. Did you also have the idea as well, in the Nellens fake death scenario, the entire party would, players being players, assume it's an Iselsi or something when they see this outcast that's clearly hiding a secret identity. (laughs) Yes. As they go, it's like, we finally discovered you. Oh no. Pulls out his little Nellens mon. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mind you, that does rely on the players knowing the setting quite well. So Yeah, it's the sort of default. I would assume from the sort of players that I know that you present them with a dragon who's clearly not who they say they are that's hiding a secret identity. That sets off the Aselsi alarm in anyone who's read about Aselsi. Yeah, true. And it being Nellens is an adorable subversion. Very <laughs> <laughs> cute. And along with that, you can also give them reasons to stay as well and play up the fated dragon blood, so to speak, that they will be celebrated, they will be spoiled, they will be patted on the head for doing all the right things. If you're going to have house control over a Nellan's PC, make sure that they know the benefits as well. Yeah. So you can play into the idea of dragon blood being awesome and spoiled and all those sorts of dynamics. So it will be the case that even though you've got that frustration with your little mortal handler, it'll be the case of when you walk into the cities, the rest of the party are here. Let's take a wild hunt scenario just because that's the easiest one. Wild hunt on the aisle. Rest of the party walking in there is like, yeah, okay, you're Dragonbloods, you're Shikari on a wild hunt. That's important. You're respected. The Nellens one is the one that the house will 
especially if they know you're starting to have second thoughts, they'll have arranged like some little troubadours to play a fanfare for you coming in. <laughs> and if you need to get a boat somewhere, the rest of the house starting to have to talk to people and you just wave and the dockman will be like, yeah, go on, get on the boat. <laughs> it's the advantage to having effectively the near infinite resource of all the humans love you. It can't necessarily get you all of the fun magic toys that someone else can get, but it can get you so much convenience. Yes. So much convenience and things that are worth the life of luxury and that sort of thing. And you can also play up the heroic archetypes and that sort of thing because dragon bloods in House Nellens are pushed to being front and center and played up as storied heroes to quite the degree that they are as a PR stunt. You can play into those archetypes quite consciously and make sure that. The players are seen that way. Whether or not they actually are and whether or not they buy into all of that stuff is another question. Ideally, they wouldn't, but that's down to the players because then you can start setting up the tension between kind of the myth of dragon bloods and the reality. But that will depend on player buy-in, which you wouldn't always get. Nellens can kind of actually show both halves of that coin in excess, for use of a better term. It's back to the line from the second edition book there where they are at once celebrities and second-hand citizens. You will get some Nellens that either deliberately or just out of ignorance completely buy into it and are going to be very, very heroic and all, yeah, I'm the man, wandering around. I'm imagining looking like Prince Charming from Shrek and doing the whole hero bit, thinking that they can do no wrong. And there will be others who are completely jaded and know just, yeah, go where the house tells you, cash in the check. Yeah, those second ones are probably the ones that will have had their own personal dreams crushed in some way, shape or form. If you want to have that sort of an NPC, give them a history and make sure their history is clear when you're presenting them to the players. Or give hints and don't just expo dump. Make opportunities for there to be passing comments within the conversations and interactions they have with them. And if they are, say, going to visit their residence have decorations that hint at a past that is entirely incongruous with their present. So if you've got a politician, have beast heads on the wall and artifact weapons and stuff. They've been ripped out of a military command to go and serve somewhere else because they were needed and that sort of thing. Just make sure those little juxtapositions are there in the descriptions. Yeah, and with that really, we can sort of slide into the NPCs. Um, where we've all the stuff we've said about player characters completely applies to Dragon Blooded Nellens NPCs. And sort of, as we mentioned before, the thing to remember with your NPC Nellens, especially, it's never an accident that they are where they are. It's very hard to use sort of a Nellens for flavor because anywhere that they are, they are either running away from the house or they have been told to be there. Yeah, especially if it's not on the aisle. Because there are so few Dragon Bloods, they will be doing something for the house on house business if they are away from the aisle. And even if they're outside of Juche, almost, they will have a reason to be there, even if that reason is just House Nellens wanted to buy that particular manse and it turned out to be a poor investment. Yeah. Past that, one of the standard Nellens NPCs, I would almost say, is the sort of uppity patrician who's getting a bit too big for his boots. <laughs> Because in Nellens, you can afford to be that. You as a patrician can boss all the dragons around and tell them where to go, and it will work. And that's the sort of thing. If you want to make just a really, really intolerable noble, you can make that with a Nellens patrician. The sort that will be 
if you're doing a magistrate game that is obviously behind whatever crime it is and then it turns out it's someone else but all the players really wanted him to be the one behind it because he was just annoying and having the gall to order you all around yeah that's particularly the case if you're dealing with any sort of ministry game as well i mean it depends on which source books you read but some things will say that House of Celsi is behind the ministry. Some will say House Nellens is, is entirely behind the ministry. So, The real conspiracy theory answer is that House Nellens is House of Celsi. <laughs> <laughs> oh so yeah, with those sorts of things, if you've got Nellens involved with ministry infrastructure and the systems of realm government, then you can make sure that they have their hands on power and so on or not necessarily even the Nellens house directly but just Nellens affiliated mortal great houses because there will be those houses that will have had particular offices in the family for generations and have clung to them and that sort of thing and Nellens is likely to be able to help with that particularly if they are connected to the foreign office which is where Nellens gets an awful lot of their information from regards to the economic well-being of everywhere. Yeah, and it is sort of the case that almost a Nellens mortal can act like a Nemon dragon blood. <laughs> Not if there's an actual Nemon's dragon blood around. No, but when they are in their element, that's kind of how they will behave. Nellens mortals and Nellens patricians especially will play like they're the king because when they're amongst their kind, they are. And it is that sort of case of you do have to go with the juxtaposition because most other patricians will be, again, it's big generalisation, but they will be a lot more careful around dragons than Nellens might. But yeah, the other sort of thing as well, of course, to mention with the mortals of House Nellens is House Nellens like sorcerers. And mortal sorcerers are a thing that can exist. House Nellens is, of the three sorcery houses, the only one that's likely to try and deliberately cultivate them. Yes, you're going to get quite a few that will just appear and potentially be kind of brought up. I don't think Nellens will necessarily train them themselves, because as much as Nellens is portrayed as being a sorcery-friendly house, they don't really have the infrastructure to mm. produce the schools and the teachers themselves is the impression I get. But they can afford to buy them. That's true. Somewhere like the Heptagram, which is the other premier sorcery school, won't take humans. So it'll be a case of, I kind of think that they will have to have a training facility, and it probably will be in Juche for mortals that want to learn sorcery. And it is going to be a bit unseen university, I'm afraid. <laughs> it's not quite so ineffectual. <laughs> Uh, yes, but it is the case of, as has been seen with Tepet, even though they'll want to buy the talent, it will be, they won't be getting the cream of the crop sorcerers, even if they try to buy them. They will be getting the bursa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see that. and that's, Well, I, I'd imagine that they would have some sense to weed them out to some degree, this kind of see the bad eggs. But if mm. you want bad mortal sorcerers, to be doing something to the dynasty, then yes, Nellens is a good enough reason for that, or a Nellens NPC is a good yeah. reason for doing that sort of a thing. Or equally, even if you don't want them to be the problem, it's the case of, let's say again, you've got this Nellens PC that's wandering back to Juche because they need something. It's like, oh yeah, I need to, I don't know, do some specific thing that would require me to summon some specific demon, but I don't know sorcery. And I'm like, oh, okay, 
get the goon squad and you get your little cabal of hooded sorcerers <laughs> all wandering in looking like magicka wizards yeah with their three small bits of wood and four cc of mouse blood and off they go yeah it's exactly that it is the b team for sorcery <laughs> mostly because when you were saying doing stuff to the realm especially in the negative sort of sense if it's a sorcery shenanigan that's having an actual negative effect on the realm that's usually Ragara's domain so it's like Nellens I feel they'll be trying to do it deliberately they'll try to do something good they might just be because they're using mortals they either have to use a lot more sorcerers or go a lot smaller in scale yeah or something goes wrong if you want sorcerous catastrophe then mortal sorcerers can be the ones to pull it off. I mean, granted, they will only get terrestrial level, so it won't be things that are huge. So if you want sort of a demon on the loose sort of thing, then potentially that's one way of doing it with the Nellens behind the whole thing that was just wanting a particular demon for a particular task and just wasn't up to actually binding the thing properly and those sorts of things. can even just be sort of the case of like... Um oh yeah, let's go and break into this house that's going a bit weird because there was a terrifying alchemy accident when they were trying to transmute gold again. It's these sorts of things. It is the magical accident that you would use with these. Past that, the other thing that you can do with Nellons is, and we mentioned it sort of briefly with the whole time of when the house has stifled them, but even when it's not against their own house, it can even be against the other houses. One of the nice standard archetypes for Nellons is for them to just have a chip on their shoulder about something because everyone does look <laughs> down on them. <laughs> Yes, there's only so long that you can kind of grin and bear that sort of thing. And so some of them will eventually snap. And it's just not going to be pleasant when it does. So Oh no, it's the Nellens gotten bad. Look, Nellen Sorcerer that snapped because of this is entirely a valid villain archetype. And I feel it would have to be Sorcerer just for the idea of you can fold in the whole Nellens loving the mortals bit of oh, look, all of the townsfolk are being turned into wild mutants. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it doesn't even have to be a villain for that sort of an archetype. Just either have a particularly obnoxious NPC that's always trying to put everyone down and show how they're better than everyone else around them and that sort of thing. Or mm. go for something like someone who is always striving to excel, putting themselves in danger. That sort of thing can be a particular foil for... A plot line if you have PCs that are trying to keep this particular NPC safe and make sure that they have to survive for the success of a trade mission or a marriage alliance or something, then you can have the Nellens be desperate to go and seek out glory and just be doing spectacularly stupid things, saying stupid things because they're always trying to prove themselves and striving to excel. And we're kind of leaning on Nellens as the ones that are likely to fail, which feels bad to me but the idea of the kind of the lower class boy done good kind of feel to them kind of lends itself to those sorts of narratives just as much as the kind of rags to riches type stories yeah the flip side though is of course we have talked about how they do yeah no let's call a spade a spade they do absolutely manipulate all their dragons and they will want to try and make them lean into the fated archetype sort of thing because yeah, it's convenient. If you go where you are, you can save the day and be the hero like you're supposed to be. Isn't that nice? You can have someone who buys that just completely without question and has almost as a little tragic piece if you are trying to make Nellens as an organisation look bad of just, yeah, look, there's this good egg here who really does want to just help people. And he goes where he's done and he saves the day and he gets cheered and he thinks, yeah, it's great. And he has no idea that they are using him like a tool. <laughs> 
Yeah, because you once you realize someone's drivers for a character like that, you can just plug and hit the right buttons. And that's one thing. If you are dealing with that sort of an NPC, make sure that their buttons are nice and obvious. Because uh, we said it before, I'll say it again. What is obvious to you as a GM, either as a Rizzle or a particular character type or a clue that you're dropping in, may well not be for your players. So if you're wanting the players to leverage and use an NPC in a particular way, make it absolutely obvious unless you know that your players are absolutely sharp as razors or the flip side if they do fall in love with that npc they'll try and do it anyway just to get more out of them Mm. i say this from point of experience where one of my pathfinder characters accidentally got married because of that experience (laughs) trying to just keep an npc around (laughs) and then oh okay yep that's how this is being read okay oh well if that sort of thing happens then yeah Character development. It's it's completely character development. But yeah, if you want an NPC to be leveraged like that, you either need to make it clear to your players you want that, or you need to make the NPC really likeable. Because sometimes, even if they don't get that, oh, the plot needs to move forward with this, they will just try to keep the NPC around because they like him. And that is the subtler way you can do it. Past that, we get into some Nellens games that you can do, which are either with Nellens PCs or just are Nellens flavoured, even if the players aren't. Nellens flavoured. It tastes like (laughs) grey. The first thing on our list is your proper sort of Simbad the Sailor adventure, because Nellens are one of the few houses that you can really easily justify basically doing a quick little world tour with in the name of pretty much minor trade and mercantilism. Yeah, particularly if you sort of tie it into the noble house trading interests and so on that we talked about. There is the French Nellens, the Nellens-Chanot bloodline that has a huge amount of shipping interests all around the southern Blessed Isle and various places around the Inland Sea and that sort of thing. So you tie them up with a house like that, then you can absolutely get them involved in all sorts of different things in different places, finding reasons for them to move on as well. If you've got them tied to a particular ship that has to ply a particular route and that sort of thing, you can do sort of a whistle-stop tour of the setting that way. And it is also notable, because especially because we we have mentioned that Nellens likes to deal for favours as well, so you can, even if it's not a, oh, here's some treasure you have to find bit, it very much can be your little adventure of the week where you stop in port and the trading actually goes smoothly this time, but such and such comes to the boat and he's asking if you can give him a hand with this. And the house will absolutely allow you to do that because that's leverage. Yes. If the smuggling goes off, great. And if it doesn't, then yeah, you at least have something to hold over someone potentially. Yeah. And the best part about this, of course, dear listener, is that it allows you to have an excuse to use a lot of the less focused on parts of the setting. A lot of the little towns, especially in sort of the near north and, um, well, basically the near north and the northeast, that everyone sort of forgets are there. And conveniently, there might be a podcast somewhere where you could learn all about these places. (laughs) (laughs) There will be, eventually, anyway. We've not got there yet. Smooth as silk. (laughs) (laughs) You should have been in marketing. (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it basically if there are any places that you as the storyteller thought oh that's interesting but i can only really think of a little thing to do there this is the exact kind of broader game framing device to do with it yeah the trick that i would tend to find with that is finding reasons then to move on so you've got to have an overarching structure there you've got to have the company or 
directives from elsewhere in the house. That's why this is an Ellen's game, though, because the Ellen's will just give you orders of, yeah, okay, shuffle along, now we're moving. Yeah, and then you can kind of bring in some of the other themes that we've talked about, the idea of do they want to stay, do they want to set something up, is that going to cause ruptures later with the rest of the house, and all those sorts of motivations and stuff. The next one on our little list is your Realm Mortal Ministry game. And we've mentioned this a few times before. There are lots of little things you can do in the ministries, but this is also an excuse for you to actually have playable mortals. Third Edition Core gives you a way of doing that, and I think no one has ever done it. <laughs> yeah, because if you have the mortals with Nellan's leverage, you have the ability to command Dragon Blooded, even if you're not Dragon Blooded yourself. And so you can have a game of, well, how far do I push this? How can I interpret this to my own personal gain and that sort of thing. It's also potentially one of the ways that you can do a, what was, if I remember correctly, the Ventru Chronicle for Vampire the Masquerade, the idea of a succession game focused around some kind of resources and assets rather than strictly speaking a family line. So you can have things starting off being someone working in the ministry with a particular portfolio. And if you want to have it as a family thing, then yes, you can have particular events happen and de potentially destabilize it and try and stop you passing things off to your daughter and that sort of thing. Or you can have, well, what happens to the portfolio as it kind of moves around from person to person within the ministry? You have different ways of looking at the same problem with a different cast of characters, all done by the same player. This is both playing up sort of the fragility of mortals within creation and giving them a unique take and a unique way to explore that. And the support network that Nellens gives mortals gives them a fighting chance against the walking demigods yeah. that would otherwise steamroller them. Mm. And it absolutely does like you to sort of Game of Thrones. It absolutely lets you little finger the whole situation. The other fun one, of course, with the ministry here, and this isn't one that I necessarily recommend, but I think would be very, very funny to see happen. That sort of ministry game where you are just trying to control your own little local family affairs through the portfolio there. Mm -hmm. As the Realm Civil War starts to go down. Yes. Although, yeah, it depends on quite how quickly you want to take things. I sort of envisage that as quite a snapshotty type game where oh, you're yeah. moving kind of a few years every few sessions sort of thing. So you can get mm. the impression of the dragon bloods are the constant while the mortals shuffle around a lot more. To be fair, you could definitely then have that be how it ends, when yeah. the Civil War starts to kick off and suddenly you go from the, oh yeah, I'm swapping characters every three sessions to, no, now you are sitting here with this one guy because everything is happening in the same three weeks. Oh, sugar, I've just realised that's the perfect excuse for Exalted Upstairs Downstairs. <laughs> it absolutely is, because that all falls apart in the war as well but you've got the kind of the servants and the aristocracy and all the rest of it. I think that's sort of a game you need players that are happy to kind of pass around characters a bit or play with a distinct yeah. power differential. Give it to your Ars Magica group, which I assume you all have, dear listeners. <laughs> of course. <laughs> oh. You're listening to an Exalted podcast if you're not interested in esoteric white wolf properties. Yeah, that's. I was trying not to say that, but yes. That's where it's going. This is an Ars Magica game that's hidden in creation. It is absolutely an Ars Magica game hidden in creation. You can even have a sorcerer there if you want. Uh. I'll find a way to translate the forms and arts into classical Chinese. Okay, and then you're building the charm trees. 
This is true. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that aside, the other sort of one that we can do is the local Nellens Dragon-Blooded Heroics. This one is going to be very, very confined in setting, but you can probably do the same time shenanigans for a similar point from the other side of the door here, where you'll be one of those Nellenses that they not necessarily send wandering around on the borders, but perhaps the Nellens that is assigned to protect this little village that's out in the middle of nowhere but has a slight, not a problem that's big enough to call the army in, but something that does still need managing. Like, I don't know, there's some uppity ghosts or whatever. It's that sort of thing where you're the local hero. That kind of is your role. You are there to be the town's hero. Yes, and if you are going to have the big looming threat for something building up to something bigger, then you can have some agents from House Cessus or something trying to undermine everything. That's your sort of go-to of the house that is always gunning for Nellens and that's sort of mentioned almost in the same breath as how these Nellens heroes sort of operate. They're there in part to patrol and look after the common folk and be the poster children for the house and that they're all wonderful. But they're also there to keep an eye on the other great houses, make sure that they're not doing anything in Nellens territory. Because Nellens only have Duce, they are very, very vulnerable to any disruptions within that one place. Yeah, and it is sort of the case of you can do the same sort of snapshotty hopping through time thing that we were mentioning in the Ministry <laughs> game, but instead of you switching character, it's the entire cast of NPCs that are switching as the peasantry are starting to grow older and retire out and have children. It's that case of you weirdly, at the start you might be the new guy, but then towards the end of the game, you are a fixture of the town, more yes. so than a lot of the locals. Yes, and again, using... Nellens as a portrayal of the realm and how all that works. That's another kind of quite neat way of emphasising it and kind of playing up the mortal usage to do that. That sort of a game would have to be set on the aisle, really. And so you're going to be playing an awful lot in realm high society and that sort of thing, because one of the things that gets played up in What Fire Has Wrought is that that's essentially the role of dragon-blooded outcasts that are just suddenly exalt out in the threshold somewhere or out mm. beyond the threshold and out of the reach of the realm and are just basically going around being their local hero and playing local power games. But for this sort of thing to be really suitable for the Nellens, it needs to be in Juche on the aisle. And so you've got a very, very specific flavour of place to be in so you can play up Duce's heritage particularly as it's sort of the first age kind of set city and one of the starting points for the immaculate philosophy and all that sort of stuff yeah and it is the case of sort of compared to that outcast game the massive difference here is the system isn't an obstacle to you no. until someone tries to subvert it the system is an aid to you you very much are the system it's the case of it does ring for those of you that already sort of read some old second edition of it reads as the sort of standard chronicle for alchemicals, where you are the superhero for this little kingdom sort of thing, or for this little village in this case. And with the First Age stuff, you can even give it some little weird spookiness, like, yeah, there's the First Age well that never runs out of water. That's just a thing we have. But in a very real sense, you, the player, because you are Nalans and because you are going to be backed by the house and all of that, Unless someone like a magistrate wanders through, which could be a nice little snapshot to do, you are the law. And so if you've got the player or players that sort of are amenable to the differing stakes, you can have the case of, yeah, one session, got to go fight some ghosts because the ghosts are playing up. But another one, 
it could be the case of, yeah, you've got to oversee this little dispute between two of the villagers because that's also your job. You are here to take care of this little village. Yeah. Although I would say that for these sorts of things, it does take a fairly specific type of player group. I've come across a distinction of types of role-playing that I think serves well here, that you have task-oriented role-playing where it's go find the quest giver and get the quest, go off on the quest and slay the dragon and come back and get your chest of gold sort of adventure, which is very, very task-oriented. And then you've got the role players that will spend three sessions having a drink in the tavern and start chatting up the barmaid and all of that sort of stuff and just be in a place being their characters. And Mm. the way I've heard it is kind of tasking versus vibing, so to speak. And so this sort of being the parochial Netherlands Dragonblood, who is the hero of the village and that everyone will know and so on, you spend a lot of time getting in under the skin of particular mortal NPCs that there's an awful lot of information being passed, a lot of backstory built up for them that isn't necessarily going to be germane to any particular job that you do for them, but it's fleshing them out as characters. It sits much more in this sort of vibing kind of category, so to speak. So if you have players that are going to be wanting to go off and do stuff, then it's absolutely not the type of game you want to run. But if you want in-depth character development and everything that comes with that, even for those that appear entirely inconsequential. You can get emergent narratives of reasons for these characters to be important, despite the fact that there is absolutely nothing world-shattering about them because you spend so much time interacting. Yeah. And if you really want a big arc villain for it, have a Cessus. Have it be a Cessus that keeps trying to sabotage things and you can never quite catch and prove. This sort of Cessus spymaster bloke. If you wanted to actually surprise your players by suddenly making it actually serious towards the end, that weird little quaint first-aged thing that the rest of the town is just like, yeah, it's just the local attraction, is actually very, very important for a very, very specific thing. <laughs> and that's why the Cessus is being trying to get rid of you. Yes. It's not that you're trying to get the village to up sticks and move because the railroad tracks need to be built. It's because the first age artifact needs to be dug up and exploited. Yeah. Much of a muchness. But yeah, next up we move on. Instead of sticking in one village in Juche to sort of going around the place, be it the city or more widely the prefecture. Yeah, you've got an awful lot of kind of ways of kind of bringing people in. We talked about having... Nellan's dragon-blooded adventurers roaming around the place as sort of roving justice administrators and that sort of thing. That's kind of one of the ways that you can absolutely use it. I would also suggest kind of as a development of that, you can do things like checking out the fortresses and kind of playing up the rivalry with Tessus as a more militarized version of that and how that sort of thing gets brought in. You can also, if you're doing things with the Realm Civil War, kind of bring up that increasing militarism because it's quite a i don't know juche feels like a bit of a sleepy prefecture it's one yeah. of the places where there's lots of little mountain valleys just they're pottering doing their own thing and so and so they're just busy being people who do stuff and make things rather than really being that involved with the rest of the realm's politics and so if you have the players attached to a particular garrison or a particular region close to a garrison you can have hints that something is going down and you can have the simmering powder keg that is the Civil War kind of kick off in that way. Yeah. 
You can also, again, just to keep bringing back my favourite thing to do with nouns, you can also stick the passage of time thing here just on a less personal scale than in the past game of as you go around hopping around doing your business, you see like the different little sleepy villages that used to just sit there and make whatever stuff they used to make. Watchers, some of them rise and some of them fall and all this other fun stuff. You can watch as the little unseen university that I'm definitely going to have B in Juche City <laughs> comes up from being the weird little personal project of one Nellens to being a big thing in the city. And it's all that. You can see the development of it and then you can inevitably see as the whole thing falls apart when you get to the Civil War. Yes, absolutely. There is that whole kind of everything is very much on a knife edge. And one of the things that you would need to play up in Juche City, I think, is the origins of the place that as well as thinking about the past of time and mortals and all that. It's a place that's built on a first age city and you have residents that trace their families right back. So making the place feel old is one of the key things. I mean, it's not necessarily the same thing as walking down London and seeing all of the buildings from the Georgian Victorian era, but it's a case of give a sense of history by a mixture of the buildings and how the NPCs talk about the place. Don't make it feel casual when it's brought up in conversation. Make offhand references to stuff that happens. You may not never need to mention them again, but make sure that there's kind of events and things tied into history and, and history of the place just so that it feels lived in a bit more, as well as the general descriptions. The other sort of cute thing that you can do with this, especially if you are the roving Nellens around the prefecture, I love the idea of doing something with an exigent here. Just having one of those sleepy little villages accidentally get an exigent and the house is like, get them, get them, get them now. <laughs> yeah, and the reason for the exigent and actually the PR consequences if you're going to have an exigent in there. Because yeah. if an exigent rises up to do something in Juche, it means the Nellens aren't doing a good enough job. Yeah. And so it's the case of you kind of have to make your sort of players have the experience as Nellan's Dragonbloods of doing what the house does to Nellan's Dragonbloods. It's the case of, yeah, find them, coddle them, spoil them, keep them in our use and don't let them do anything that makes us look bad. Yes. <laughs> they would need to have a vested interest in kind of keeping that up. Make the consequences of a rogue exigent with local connections, um, particularly if the other houses can start wooing them, would be absolutely disastrous. It's this sort of case I'm envisaging here. You were seeing in Juche City where it could be really big and really visible. I was almost seeing one of the little river valley places and it's an exigent that isn't even necessarily that, how do we say, important. Like, oh yeah, the local god of Luthias has exalted someone and it sort of starts off, the way the news gets to you is this local village is celebrating that they got an exigent and it's all local village politics sort of stuff. And then when you get there to try and welcome them into House Nellens officially and all this stuff, there's like five other diners from different houses that are there already talking to mm. them. And it's the, oh, <laughs> oh, okay, now it's a competition. Yes, and you have the whole thing of, is resources enough? And resources should never be enough in this conversation because Nellens yeah. and Regara can both throw an immense amount of money at an exigent and throw good things at an exigent as well. So... The riddle of that sort of a thing is finding out what the exigent wants and making sure that the players can satisfy it. And it shouldn't be a thing that can just be bought. It will need to be a thing that can be found or a particular type of person or a particular event that needs to come to pass, that sort of thing. 
or equally, if you really wanted to, and this again requires more vibing than doing players, to use the lingo, if you want to really reinforce the Netherlands themes, you can have it be a completely local thing. Like, everyone's here offering them gold and diamonds and all of the drugs if there's a sinus there and all of these other things. And really just what they want is their village to not have so much tax so that it can actually be treated a bit nicer and have a bit more comfort. And that's something you, the Netherlands, can promise while everyone else is overlooking it because they're thinking, oh yeah, we need to treat this like a dynast. You make it about the local affairs because Netherlands is a local house for local people. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing that you can kind of play with in Duce City is just all of the little pilgrimage sites as well. All the things that connect it to the Immaculate Philosophy and the realm before. If you're wanting a thing to make things go bump in the night, then you can have a whole bunch of the artifacts do strange things and be unsettled and are reacting to something that's going wrong. Or you can just have them as something that has been stolen, maybe, or that sort of thing. Um, you've got a whole bunch of immaculate treasures. And if you have player characters that are invested in the immaculate order, then you can bring them in to deal with the things that are going on in Juche City. And you also may have some form of heresy springing up around these because if they've got a particular temple that's always doing something particular or a particularly famous saint that isn't connected with the Immaculate Philosophy or the Immaculate Order, and so you can start to see some sort of syncretism creeping in and you've got some immaculate characters that can stamp on it or investigate it, bring it back towards something that should be part of the immaculate order, that sort of stuff. You can even, if again, if you want, if you want to be particularly spicy, mostly because Nellens has, shall we say, issues with the local immaculate order. <laughs> Have something exalt within the bounds of the city. Have the house be the ones that catch it first. And yes, we could fight this clearly anathema right now and take it away and do all of the whole things, or. We could make the order look really bloody incompetent and then have our hero come in to save the day. And you get the sort of the plot of Megamind, basically, where you set up your own villain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Oh. See, this this is a great one for all the references no one was expecting. <laughs> uh. Yeah, no, but the kind of making your own enemy, we've already done that. No, we've done that where it's accidental, because in the Abyssal game, the big reveal for the players is realising, oh, we're doing this, and that's how they fix it. Whereas in this one, it's the house very deliberately being like, no, we're setting this up so that they look like clowns and we look like heroes, and then it all kind of gets out of hand. <laughs> because you clowns set like a freshly hatched solar or lunar loose just oh. to try and make the other guys look bad. Yeah. What did you think was going to happen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Uh, another thought on games with Juche connotations. Exactly how you do this, I'm not sure, because you would have to essentially plot out the entire Most August Conclave, but some sort of a game connected to the expansion of the Villa of Seven Doorways and the politics of getting the Conclave to have a foothold in the Imperial Palace would be another one and with the idea of Duce as a province and Duce city you can have the local interests wanting to keep them there you can have the dragonbloods wanting more prestige because dragonbloods you can have the mortals thinking well where on earth do i sit in all this there's all sorts of really really juicy conflicts of interest you can bring up in that sort of a game if you're wanting to make a whole bunch of nelan's politics we'll now move on to our nice little 
improv creating a thing bit that needs a better segment title. <laughs> yes, yes it does. Send us emails with ideas for it. For this one, I will take full blame for the impetus for, because I was told by my lovely co-host here of one artefact that House Nellens have access to and immediately went into a Mabinogion-inspired fever dream that needs to be worked through. So would you like to introduce us to the Imprimatur? Yes, absolutely. This is an artefact that is found in what fire has wrought. It is a white jade diaclave, apparently. It is the Imprimatur, which is a blade that the Empress bequeathed to Nellens to protect his legacy. And to quote, it is sheathed in a scabbard of stone from which it couldn't be drawn, bound by a crimson tassel. Inscribed on the blade, the Empress left a message that she promised that only Nellens' heirs would ever read. And it remained in the Empress's army after Nellens passed, was not given to anyone in House Cessus or anywhere else, but it was then given when the Empress elevated House Nellens to members of House Nellens. To quote again, it's that the blade has become a familiar sight whenever a Nellens dragon blood appears at a heated debate or a tense negotiation. For almost a generation, the infamous duelist Nellens the Jaren, or Nellens Zizren, Z-I-J-I-R-E-N, used it to humiliate his rivals of high social standing until his recent demise. The sign of imprimatur has always meant the same thing to those that oppose House Nellens, an upstart who thinks herself their equal and a weapon that proves it. So, and of that lovely artefact, there was one evocation on it that happened to even more so reinforce the insane idea that I had. Would you like to tell them about Ultima Regio Regina? <laughs> Something like that, Regina? Something like that, yes. When you're not trying to translate the words into Latin on the fly, it's called the final words of queens, which is that the bearer of the blade can awaken it and get a vision of the unique messages etched across the blade in Old Realm. Just little excerpts of the Empress's messages that was written on there. This means that the blade is never actually drawn, but it has the three things that can be done with it. And I'll just give you the taglines. I'm not going to read out the rules, but it has ambition is a promise, marriage is a blade, and a dragon is born. So make of that what you will. <laughs> but you have mystical visions being granted to the wielder of the blade as to what the final message is. The thing is never actually drawn. And there's all sorts of sword in the stone references that can be made here except that the stone is actually the sword scabbard in this case which is where we, i think we're going with this we absolutely are so it can be wielded you can get snippets of the message by just being a member of house nellens okay cool the first of many big assumptions that we have to make about this sword for this entire premise to work which i think dear reader you'll agree with me we should because it's cool is that there is going to be some particular individual Nellens heir who is good enough to get the whole message one day, and they happen to be one of your players. Especially if you're doing a one-on-one -on -one game, they happen to be your player. Yes, that can work. There's a lot of soul-searching and introspection and personal development in terms of the plot. I would say that this wouldn't necessarily be something that starts off any chronicle at all. First of all, 
a, a character has to earn the right to wield it, and then they have to earn the right to draw it. Both of those, well, potentially, if you want to throw enough freebie dots at it, um, at an experienced Dragon Blood build, they could have it uh, character generation with the right sort of backstory to match up with it. Something suitably second edition-y. But having them be able to draw the blade as part of an overall story would be just a fantastic kind of combination of, yes, you are the heir to the house, such as it is, and all that means. Now, the first thing we need in our King Arthur story is Merlin, because your player and your Nellans is not likely to fully appreciate the significance of this, especially because they are a Nellans dragon blood. Yeah. So we need a sorcerer. You can make it a mortal Nellans sorcerer if you like. You can make it a dragon blooded Nellans sorcerer. I, in my head, am seeing a Ladal, which allows for the interesting conflict between it shouldn't be Nellans, but it is, <laughs> that will sort of inevitably come from it. And also because Ladal wizards are already basically Merlin. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. I mean, they are your kind of your archetype of let's unpack what this artifact is and make sure that it all works. But then again, I don't necessarily think that anyone in the house would want to let a member of another great house anywhere near it. This is true. It's why I'm sort of thinking they're attached to the person rather than the sword. Mostly because that's the read they get from it, that the sword is secondary perhaps to the person. But you get your Nalans, they're able to draw their sword. This is coming at the sort of act two of your chronicle already, once they've had lots of development and gotten to be nice and heroic and get to draw the sword in a fittingly dramatic point. Potentially, if you want to be completely blunt, fighting some fairy that lives in a lake. <laughs> I would almost make it, actually, just as something like when the dragon blood goes up a level in essence. Something like when they reach essence four that they kind of do this mid-fight and all of a sudden they can wield more power within themselves and the power of the sword, just both at the same time. I don't think it would necessarily be something like an enemy that is supernatural. I wouldn't want to have it as something that isn't tied to the hints that we have in the words because we have ambition, we have marriage, and we have the birth of a dragon. Okay, we can flip it out then. Not a fairy lady no. of the lake then. You're fighting a cessus. <laughs> or, it depends. It depends on the tone you want to go for here. If you want to go for the pure heroic side, which I am going to lean into, it's actually probably better to make it an Iselsi, or some other traitor to the realm. Yes, yeah, you can have it defending the house and the realm. Yeah, cessus if you want to make it about the house... It's Elsie if you want to make it about the realm, and I am going to make this about the realm. You have the whole drawing the sword. You as a storyteller need to get the whole message. You need to write the whole message and make it fittingly dramatic. Incorporate the little snippets we've already got, or don't. Really, it's up to you. What matters is that the first time they get to draw that mid-fight against their enemy as Elsie or whatever, is you let them have the vision, and you let them hear the message, and they get their, you are the chosen one, bit. Being thoroughly cynical, actually, or not being thoroughly cynical, but being a bit more kind of reading into the words, it's talking about both the birth of a dragon and marriage. So I can almost envision the blade coming out at some sort of Pride, Prejudice and Zombies type moment of <laughs> a kind of flirting duel, so to speak, or oh, yeah, when you're fighting someone who you are supposed to marry. I have a better idea okay. of who you're fighting. Go for it, then. So, 
They have to have been. And this works with the Nellons, the man themes of Dynas, who didn't exalt as well, and with the the Empress carved this sword. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm about to start conspiracy theorizing about theorizing about the Empress again. <laughs> so, you need to set up from the start of the campaign the friend rival ish sort of thing you want to make it go full anime this is exalted it can be the childhood friend that you sort of fancied but you exalted and she never did you fell apart the whole bit she because attached to Nellens goes into ministries or whatever the heck enough that you can have her keep popping up across your game now at some point towards the second act she goes disappearing and if you've got a B-plot, basically, that the players will think is the main plot. They will just be like, oh, that's sad, but we've got other things to focus on. She has exalted in this time, but not as a dragon. <laughs> she has exalted as an infernal of the Ebon Dragon. <laughs> we now know where this is going. Yes. And you have your flirty duel with her, as you, now the heir uh. of Nellans and representative of the Dragonbloods, her as the formal love interest sort of thing and also Ebon Dragon representative uh, for those of us uh, unaware the Empress has ties to Teddy yes Teddy being the Ebon Dragon it's a nice way of referring to him he doesn't get many nice things <laughs> no well he's not a nice thing to be fair <laughs> But yeah, you get that, you get your speech, you get your whole bit about a dragon being born, marriage is a blade, all of this stuff. And you get your very own Morgana stroke love interest in that one person. Because she's the Ebon Dragons one, she is going to be both your downfall and your greatest asset. Yes, that's beautiful. You get a <laughs> you are the chosen one bit and tacitly assume, because she will name drop House Nellens and all of that, because, yeah, Nellens, that, yeah, your goal is to take over the house and make it dragon blooded and good again and all of these other things, or at least make it not House Nellens. <laughs> <laughs> You do make the house your own enemy here, and you need to basically make it that make it challenging because this is hard. You are trying to revolt against your own house here. But with that sword's message and all of that, and the fact that House Nellens has lots of enemies, <laughs> you need to make it doable. So they do actually get their quest here. And basically, you want the players to accidentally kick off this timeline's Rob Civil War by taking Nellens out in their own personal revolution thing because they've got an Evan Dragon person <laughs> right on their side as their Morgana. Bonus points if she's never actually deliberately hostile about it either. That's just an unintended consequence of being chosen by the Evan Dragon. Everything you love will come to doom. Yes. And then there's part of me that wants to then try and engineer a plot line about reinvigorating the house through the Civil War. You're going to have to have touch points of keeping the various mortal contacts going and having enough sway within what was Nellens into something else. This, I mean, this is going to be a long game if you play it out properly, but basically I can see taking out each of the Council of Seven is the way that the sort of the second act comes together. Not quite seven boss fights, but three boss fights and four how do you deal with them when you can't just t pick a fight ones. Yeah. Because the dragons you can pick a fight with and that will be satisfying. Whereas humans, if you get to fighting them, you've already won. But yeah. it can you can also really make this about, as is one of the big Nellens themes, compromise and pragmatism. Your girlfriend Morgana thing is already an infernal. Really, at that point, other alliances that were a bit shifty to the normal dragons, is that such a bad thing to do? And it's no. the case of almost, if it were any other game... At the beginning, you can be purely heroic going in tone, but towards the end of it, you almost want, just because you've given the players these slightly easier, if slightly dodgier options, and they will have taken at least a few, that towards the end of the game, you're almost someone else's villain. <laughs> yes. In fairness, any decently done Realm Civil War storyline should be that anyway. But 
You also want to... I'm not sure that the mortals being taken out is necessarily as much of a walkover as you make it because they will have bodyguards. They will have sorceress protection. They will have all sorts. Yeah, it's more the fact that by now you're going to be in a sort of essence for dragon blood, which yeah, it's kind of because I want to make these the non-combat scenarios just because even with bodyguards, unless they've got a lot of dragon blooded bodyguards to their name, an essence for dragon blood with a scary artifact and an infernal on the side is going to be a very hard thing to match with any number of humans. Yeah, that's absolutely fair enough. And you almost want to start rolling this into the kind of the return of the Scarlet Empress idea. You absolutely do. Or even if you don't do that, because that's the obvious thing to do, and I love it, and I would recommend it as the primary. But if you don't, to go into the Realm Civil War implications a bit, you can get Nellens, a very big and very, very scary ally, for a reason that perhaps your main character might not fully appreciate. Because I think you can get Ragara on side very quickly once they see what's happening. <laughs> yes, that was where my mind was going as soon as you said that. So you need to be able to cut deals like in true Nellens fashion. It's compromise. That also means that you need to be able to get leverage on House Ragara. So you need to then shift gears into investigative blackmaily and all that sort of stuff. I'm curious as to how you would then link Ragara into it because it's not a natural link, so to speak. No. The way I'm envisaging this, frankly, and the key of the leverage is basically subverting the house and going straight for old man Ragara with you and your girlfriend, who he's the one that knows it all out of all of them. Mm -hmm. And so he sees you and, more importantly, your funny infernal girlfriend gunning for all the power. And he's like, (laughs) there is that. Plus, there is the house upside of they're the ones with the biggest purse strings. And so they're one of the bigger threats to Nellens in their economic base, so to speak. Yeah. So you kind of have the war of the little fingers. Together we can buy the world. <laughs> yeah. It basically, I'm seeing that the Ragger Alliance only comes either literally sort of the night before the Civil War starts kicking off or when it already has properly kicked off. Yeah. Your main villain house then becomes Ladal as the only house that sees what's going on and everyone else isn't really appreciating it yet. Yes. The Civil War is almost a, is almost a sideshow in this sort of a setup. Because it's y- your personal journey. Yes. Uh, if you do want the Civil War to have some impact, then you will need to weave in some ideas about protecting your own assets and who mm. is going after them. Cessus is going to be your second string villain here, in all probability, simply because they're the ones that are going to want to dismantle Nellens. Unless you perhaps, we're going on the premise that the house falls over, are we literally going for decapitation of the Council of Seven or complete destruction of the house? I'd probably more go for decapitation and taking over sort of thing, because again, you think you're the chosen one. It probably does also lead into you thinking you have a rightful claim on the throne. Which, this is where I'm thinking, Cessus might not necessarily become a second-string villain, they might become a full first-string one, just because a Nellens ragra alliance is probably one of the moves that would provoke the cessus Ladal alliance that's been threatening to happen for ages. Yes, that's definitely a possibility. But yeah, it's this sort of thing of, you get to do the Civil War, and we've talked in all of our episodes about how the Civil War can be interesting. Now imagine this, where instead of being a grunt on the ground, you are actually a major player in it, because you are commanding what is of Nellens. But it's it's less so about all of the Dragonblood politics, and it's now become more about your personal, almost Walter White-esque journey, really, from sort of heroics into corruption, 
just because of what you're working with and who you're working with, because Nellens values pragmatism and compromise, and you're pragmatizing and compromising with some very spooky things. Yeah. So far, it feels like it's just a very, very apolitical civil war game, which is really strange. And yet so intriguing. <laughs> yeah. My only sort of question is how you start calculating the kind of the decay of the house and whether you need to start worrying about individual places falling over and businesses going to bits or anything like that. Yeah. How you as a storyteller decide to run your civil war, how much micromanaging and strategy gaming you want to do is really going to be a matter of personal choice. I, unsurprisingly, given that I come up with this, am a lot more prone to a lot more if it benefits the story to do so, then it starts happening. But if you are the sort that wants to mechanise it, there are ways to try and mechanise something like the realm. And you can easily play if you come in and you're trying to restore dragon-blooded rule and all these things, and the mortals actually do start getting quite uppity. You're having to deal with your own little rebellions of the patricians that are just as important. The way I'm seeing the big grand finale, however, and this is the bit that I am absolutely loving and leaning in towards, let me set a scene for our final battle here. We're in the Imperial City. We're in the steps of the Imperial Mance. It's calibration, because it has to be calibration. We've got you, your creepy infernal girlfriend, and your collection of not knights of the round that are probably only maybe one of them is a dragonblood at this point. However many you need to balance the numbers. On the other side, standing in front of the doors of the Imperial Palace to hold you off, have they finally started to realise that as calibration is going crazy and literally all hell is breaking loose for those five days... We have Assessus Stroke Ladal, the one that has become your main villain. This is where you'll get some emergent storytelling of putting lots of little Assessus and Ladal villains, whichever ones the players tend to like the most, you make your recurring ones. That one. And then a party of what appear to be four immaculate monks. They are not, in fact, immaculate monks. We have them and four Sids trying to hold you off from getting your final victory. Ooh. Because now even heaven has started to realise, oh god, that's the Yosi getting within inches of the sword of creation. That's not good. That needs to be very carefully orchestrated, though, because with that many moving parts, you're going to have individual combatants. They need to be individual combatants, really, otherwise yep. you don't feel the gravity of it. You're approaching a size one of Sidereal Exalted, which doesn't make a yeah. lot of sense. No. It's why I sort of said you have your gaggle of not knights of the round. Basically, enough to make the numbers equal, because yeah. the moment you get outnumbered in Exalted Thirds Combat Engine, everything falls apart. Mm -hmm. Enough to make the numbers equal between four Sids and your primary villain versus the party. And it's that sort of thing. Oh, five it should be for one of each cast, but whatever. A number of Sids to make it apparent that Heaven realises, but Heaven only started realising just before calibration when all the doors get shut, and so they can't deploy a full thing. That's also why you've decided to jump this now. Not because you, the player, know, but because perhaps, again, your Morgana person here has just sort of said, no, this is the time we have to do it. This is when they'll all be hiding and won't do anything, knowing that this is when Heaven can least respond to an infernal of Teddy getting its mitts on the sort of creation. Yes. I would play up the architecture of the Imperial Mance at this point as well. You need to make this a multi-stage battle, in my opinion, because... When you're dealing with 10 combatants in the Exalted Combat System, things are going to slow down. So being able to break things up and make them not exactly vignettes, but just have moments where something else is happening just to break up the combat and having other things happening around the Imperial Mance and other people involved or 
other things happening in the sky, that sort of stuff, just so you can bring some narrative in. I mean, you don't even necessarily need to break the combat that much, but have some non-combat tasks in there as well, just so that it's not all high-power combat all the time. You can almost have it basically function as a, and I almost would recommend this again, just for the just for the talking in the fighting that you'll get from this, which will be very, very Revenge of the Sith. Yes. But you almost want to kind of make it a series of duels as you're going up the mountain and then cutting back to what's going on in the wider Imperial City, which I'm imagining this sort of battle happens probably during the case where you and whatever motley crew of absolute anathema you've managed to pull together are trying to take <laughs> it. Yes. I'd almost imagine that in order to get through the man's defences, you could put certain ritual markers in place and that sort of mm. thing throughout the manse grounds so you have reasons to move about the manse and be intercepted and that sort of thing and it, it is very yeah. much you want to make it quite literally climbing as you're going through the sections of the fight and the whole <laughs> i'm almost tempted for a member of the actual sort of final boss chain as it would be to actually be a Nellan's dragon blood that you meet right near the start when you're still probably heroic but just for the you are my brother Anakin <laughs> bits <laughs> yeah um it's so tempting but it's ham it up as much as you want i was also wondering whether you make the final boss before you enter into the imperial man's chejop oh yeah <laughs> do it i'm all for it just because it implies that at some point, uh, this is going on my list of backburner things that I really, really want to run at some point. It means that I get to watch a player kill Chejop Kajak, which will be the most cathartic experience of my life. <laughs> the only problem is now we've made this big climatic thing and they get into the Imperial Mounts, get hold of the Sword of Creation. And that's where the trick is, you see, because that's not the true final fight. The final fight is once you get in and that's when your uh, Morgana person goes into her uh, Shintai, as is the big scary demony form that all Infernals get, and starts having the, um, what's it called, the Infernal Co-Articulator or whatever it's called, the little demon voice that constantly bothers Infernals, really trying to take control of her for a second, and you get the conflict from internally of her between what's left of her humanity and what's left of what Teddy wants, and you have to fight the one that's been by your side this whole time inside the throne room. Very nice. And that's where you get it, as you are here to quite literally not just take the throne, but save creation as far as you're concerned. Yes. My question was how that sort of ties in with if you are doing the Return of the Scarlet Empress as part mm. of that, then how do you stop the Empress from stealing the glory of <laughs> taking back the Sword of Creation? That kind of works as something that kind of happens as you strike this Infernal down. We've been saying she the whole time, but whatever romantic match is appropriate for your character... But as soon as that character is struck down, then that's when the Scarlet Empress comes back. Because it turns out, in traditional Teddy fashion, uh, he also likes convoluted plans. We'll get to this in the Malpheus episodes. The plan wasn't actually to take the Sword of Creation and do it, because he knows his servants are doomed. They all are. The plan was simply to get her in there and in Shintai, because something inside the manse was the final lock keeping him and the Empress out, and just her breaking out in there is what broke it. And so you then, you can probably fade to black at this point as the Return of the Scarlet Empress starts to happen and do other games where you've just got the nutter that took the throne. Or, if you want to be insane, try and then rally what's left of the realm versus the actual bigger threat when you've made yourself the villain that they all want to hate. Yes. Trying to convince the rest of Nellans to trust you as well is going to be the main thing there 
because it will depend on how it goes across the Civil War, but I kind of want, if you're assembling a sort of a motley crew to be on the steps to match up with Siderials, then you almost need a recruiting event per member to, I don't know whether replace the most August Conclave is a sensible idea, because you wouldn't necessarily want the same structure afterwards. But then again, without the most August Conclave in place, I don't see the rest of the house necessarily trusting you. That's why I'm kind of sort of seeing the Motley crew as more your sort of personal knights. If you do decide, it'll be on a player basis, frankly. I think of if the player decides to keep the Conclave or not, I think that's a choice you can give them of basically you have to deal with the fact that they keep saying no to you versus if you don't do it, they won't trust you. It's again a case of compromise. Yeah, with the Imprimatur and the Conclave, you can do a fairly convincing Caesar and the Senate type narrative and get the sense of, I'm now the chosen one, I want to lead the armies, I want to have a say in what's going on. And you will be getting popular support. You will have a good chunk of the Nellans, Dragonbloods, and the mortal Nellans people supporting you because you've actually managed to draw the sword, and this keys into so much of what the house wants. Yeah, give your player character red hair just to really, really hammer this one home. It's also a bit, just scaling that up as well, with your Caesar in the Senate bits, I am so seeing at the end with the Scarlet Empress Trims bit the marching into the deliberative and trying to give your rallying speech because that's not good. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I can also see I want Nellan Sabine as a character involved in this somehow because as soon as she finds out about a dragon is born as part of the Imprimatur's engraving, then she's going to want to try and leverage that to make someone exalt as a dragon blood, preferably her and her daughter. She becomes your Merlin, whereas your Infernal is your Morgana. She becomes your Merlin. Yes. She's not actually fully exalted, but she gets all the crazy magic. Perhaps if she becomes the magical support early on, yeah. just so you can justify this, once you've gotten into the Imperial Mance, everyone keeps going on about how there's all the freaky magical secrets there. You can easily justify that has the last piece of the puzzle she needs to figure out how to do that. Yep. And so she will be able to finally, aha, look what I've done. I've made myself and my daughter exalted. A dragon is born. The prophecy is complete. Oh dear. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that could work really nicely. Oh no, that's the bonus for it then. Right. Slight rephrase. It's not the Morgana going Shintai that causes the break. The whole thing, the whole prophecy and message in the sword, that all being fulfilled is the magical trigger that cues to her and Teddy now is okay to return. Yes. And so it's, you make it the last face that when Sabine finally saves her and her daughter, it's like, yes, we've done it. Finally, we're not going to get old and die. Oh. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) The sky cracks and the whole bit. Oh. Yes, and that's that's a su- that's a suitable setup for everything else. Oh, yes. I don't know. bet you weren't expecting this for the Nellans episode, <laughs> were you? Yeah, one of the most unNellans stories ever. Grand epics, and frankly, out of everything we've done so far in our maker sections, the most peak exalted we've ever got. Yes, from Nellans. <laughs> Yeah, what's wrong with this? <laughs> right. I think with that, we better quit while we're ahead. <laughs> yeah, send us reviews. Sing my praises for, for wonderful epic Nellonship by putting reviews on Spotify or Stitcher yes. or Pod Thingy. Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> and oh, while I'm thinking about it as well, 
We are also now drive through RPG affiliates. So if you want to help support the podcast and while you are buying any and all of your RPG goodness, there will be affiliate links available in the show notes. So do just go visit DriveThruRPG, go buy The Return of the Scarlet Empress to see what kind of madness <laughs> you can unleash in the aftermath of what we've just discussed. But And Under the Rose. Don't forget Under the Rose. Return of the Scarlet Empress makes very little sense if you don't also get the sequel. That's true, but yeah, no, breadcrumbs, breadcrumbs. <laughs> and next time we will be discussing what story hooks you can do with the House of the High Seas. We are talking House Pelops next time. And we've already taken a plot from Pirates of the Caribbean movie, so I can't do that one again. <laughs> Well, we'll just have to be a little bit more original. And by original, I mean crib plots from another piece of history or fiction, which is what we tend to Master do. Master and Commander. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll see what comes out of that one. In the meantime, thank you ever so much for joining us to crack open the Wondrous Atlas of Creation's Destiny. Goodbye. All right. Thank you for listening to the Wondrous Atlas of Creation's Destiny, an exalted podcast presented by Aramithius and Rails. Check out the show notes and story seeds from this episode at wondrousatlas.wordpress.com and if you have any questions, drop us an email at wondrousatlas at gmail.com. The opening music for this podcast is Travelling to the Blessed Isle by James Semple and the closing music is Exploring Creation, also by James Semple. Both tracks are taken from the album Exalted, Dreams of the Second Age and are property of Onyx Path Publishing, used with permission. We say this, but the first thing on our the first thing on our little list is I knock something over. But mom, I don't wanna leave Numa. The first person to have ever said that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Why on earth would you say that about Numa? But anyway. Yeah. That went far more epic than I expected it to. <laughs>